welcome to Dragon Bites Basics, the paediatric podcast aimed at healthcare students or anyone in need of a refresher of common paediatric conditions. I'm Asim, one of the founders of Dragon Bites and a paediatric trainee here in Wales. Our Dragon Bites Basics episodes are hosted by local medical students who discuss topics with trainee paediatricians from Wales. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind everyone that this is an introductory podcast and not meant to replace your regular revision. Bear in mind that practice will change depending on your locality and as new evidence comes to light. This week we're going to be discussing pneumonia. One of our former medical students and now fully qualified doctor, Dr Alex Richards, discussed this topic with Dr Tommy Isaac. That's enough from me, let's get started. Tommy. Hi there. You all right? Hi. Uh, I was wondering whether we could have a chat, please. Uh-huh. On placement the other day, I um, saw a child with pneumonia and I read up a bit about it afterwards, but I got a bit confused with kind of the management and investigations and stuff. So I was wondering whether we'd be able to go through it for my learning, please. Oh, yeah, of course. That'd be fine. Um, was there okay. anything in particular you wanted to ask? So just to start off with, a kind of what is pneumonia and how does it kind of happen? Uh-huh. Well, so that actually is a, a really interesting question. And I think also something of a of a can of worms um, because uh, the phrase pneumonia is used very differently between um, when we try to classify pneumonia in a sort of research or guideline sense than what people will be talking about when they're on the wards and also what patients think it is. So kind of the... Bottom line is pneumonia is a, a uh, infection of a pathogen within the lower respiratory tract. But a lot of the time when we're on the wards and we're talking about pneumonia or say you're a, um, uh, in a children's assessment unit and a GP rings in saying, I think this child might have a pneumonia, um, can you look at them? We're normally talking about a, a bacterial community-acquired pneumonia um, rather than say a viral pneumonia which is actually the most common cause um so it's it's a bit tricky when you say what is a pneumonia i think you need to um think about what kind of pneumonia you're thinking about but most of the time it's that bacterial community acquired pneumonia um uh, and then in terms of when and why it happens um it tends to happen more in younger children so there's a, a skew to the um uh, the infant years uh, rather than our kind of adolescent years um, uh, and it again happens when that pathogen gets from normally somewhere in the upper respiratory tract down into the lower respiratory tract and causes an infection. That's brilliant. Thank you. That is very well said. <laughs> um, were there any kind of risk factors for um, pneumonia at all? Yeah. Well, so as as I was saying, the um, younger age is a is a risk factor. So uh, smaller children are more likely to have uh, pneumonias. Um, and then there are a few other risk factors which are, um, or risk factors probably is uh, slightly a strong term associations that have been picked out. Um, so children who have um, asthma or recurrent presentations with wheeze are more likely to have a pneumonia. Um, okay. You've got um, uh, a cohort of children who are more likely to present with those wheezing illnesses, which is um, our uh, atopic uh, children and also our uh, ex-preterm children. But I haven't seen anything in the literature to say that those two groups specifically are risk factors, but they're more associated with that kind of wheezing 
um, illness. And then the other thing that is uh, quite a good predictive uh, factor is if you have come in with previous lower respiratory tract infections. So having one means that you're much more likely to have had a second. Um, and then again, in this uh, idea of there are lots of different kinds of pneumonias, I think um, most of the time we're talking about these community acquired pneumonias, but there are also a group of children who tend to get what we call aspiration pneumonias. So where um, they have uh, inhaled uh, food matter um, or even sometimes their own secretions. Um, uh, and that's our, our children who haven't got safe swallows. So for instance, uh, uh, an ex preterm child who has, um, uh, has cerebral palsy and doesn't have a safe swallow would be more at risk of something like an aspiration pneumonia. Okay, that makes sense. And do those kind of normally present in neonates or um, could they present in any age? No, so the, those aspiration pneumonias tend to present in any age, actually a bit more common as the child gets a bit older. Um, uh, and we're trying to uh, work out their feeding. So just normally beyond the neonatal period into kind of infancy um, uh, might be the first time you start to uh, notice that these children are having aspiration events. Um, and then also, depending on what the neurological condition is that's caused their unsafe swallow. So if it's something progressive, you might have uh, a child who ha has a safe swallow throughout most of their childhood, but as they get older, starts to become un unsafe. Yeah, that's really useful. Thank you. Um, and then in terms of children with pneumonia, I know you said there's kind of a lot of different types. Are there any kind of key questions to ask in the history? Yeah. So I, I suppose if we focus in on that kind of um, bacterial community acquired pneumonia, um, as that's the one that you don't want to miss. And that, so say, if you're a GP, would be the one where you might be thinking about either starting antibiotics or if the child appears septic referring into secondary care or if you're a um uh, a secondary care uh, doctor so you're a pediatrician or you're working in a and &E, that's the one that you want to be able to pick apart um in your history so uh much like most pediatric things um what the presentation is like varies with age and also the uh presentation is somewhat non-specific so things to ask about would be your your usual history part, so thinking about your onset uh, of symptoms, the duration and associated factors. Um, and what you might hear about in a pneumonia, we'd be thinking about fever um, and children with a, a, a loba pneumonia um, may well have uh, a higher fever, so kind of above 39 and persistent. Um, children do get cough, but unlike in uh, adult practice where we think quite a lot about whether or not they're expectorating, so whether they're coughing up big lumps of green goo, it's uh, less common to hear about that in paediatrics. So um, kind of a rule of thumb, although this is not um, you know, in any particular guideline or research, is that preschool children, you know, your toddlers and your infants are unlikely to be um, expectorating, whereas your older children going into school age adolescence might be able to give you that history of I've been coughing up green lumps, um, whereas younger children are more likely to swallow that mucus. So you might get a history of the um, the nappies changing when they're them having particularly sticky stools or passing mucus um, because they've swallowed it or it coming up in their vomits. So what happens in smaller children who have persistent coughing, sometimes they can cause themselves to vomit. And because they've been swallowing lots of mucus, they actually vomit up that um, mucus. 
so those are sort of some key bits that you might pick out. Um, the other one that I'd say not to miss uh, is that you would want to think about um, abdominal pain. So just thinking of atypical presentations um, and the classic one for both uh, things being missed and also exam questions sometimes is the child presenting with right-sided abdominal pain that is worse on deep inspiration and then they've got chest signs. And so rather than being an abdominal um, problem, they're actually a right lower lobe pneumonia who is having some pain from the um, diaphragm, basically. Oh, okay. That's really interesting. So I have actually seen a kid with respiratory signs and right upper low, uh, right lower lobe pain. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um. So we've got the history. Kind of thinking it might be a bit of a pneumonia. What sort of things on examination would you sort of see? So um, the things you're going to see on examination, if we sort of start at the end of the bed is that you are probably going to see a child that is in respiratory distress so they're going to have a raised respiratory rate um, they may have some signs of increased work of breathing so you know uh, something like tracheal tug nasal flaring um, depending on their age obviously as children get older their chests become less compliant less um, bouncy so it is um, actually more worrying to see these signs of respiratory stress in older children. Um, and then once you get to the point of um, putting your hands uh, on, you might uh, do percussion and you might find a, a difference in percussion note. So uh, you may have an area of dullness um, and that would be either over an area of consolidation or collapse or some children end up with a paraneumonic effusion. So normally a sterile fluid um, that is released into the pleural space as a consequence of inflammation. And they would be typically stony dull rather than dull. Um, and then one, once you get to um, auscultation, uh, the classical thing that you might find is uh, crackles and creps over one area. Um, but crackles and crepitations are less uh, common to be heard in smaller children. Um, and sometimes you might just hear reduced air entry um, over that zone where there is consolidation or collapse. Um, I think probably an important thing to say is also, so often people worry about hearing crackles and crepitations um, when you've got a child with wheeze um, uh, and thinking about our different kinds of pneumonia in a child with wheeze because of a virus, although that is a lower respiratory tract uh, infection due to a virus. This is not a child who has probably what we'd be thinking about a bacterial community acquired pneumonia um, uh, and people often hear crackles in a wheezy chest and go oh there's crackles I should probably start antibiotics um, uh, and it's just an important thing to say that if you think this child has a viral wheeze even if they've got localized crackles what I do is I would treat their wheeze and go and have a listen again later and if those crackles have moved around or gone or just aren't there it's unlikely to be um, a consolidation collapse bacterial pneumonia whereas persistent localized chest signs are more indicative um, of a pneumonia itself okay fab that's really important then for um exam situations i think that's a really good point yeah it's um uh you know it, it's if you're thinking about exams and how you might uh, these things might be structured you know in a question stem you would be expecting 
um, to be told about a child with a, a persistent high fever and localized crackles in, in, in an OSCE. Obviously, uh, again, that's probably going to be part of your STEM that you're you're thinking about, um, and they should make it uh, if they're have thought about how their assessment's based, and they want you to be able to pick it apart from other causes of a um, uh, a chest problem. They need to make it clear for you. So um, sometimes breaking down uh, diagnoses and um, presentations to the kind of defining um, symptoms can be useful for one sifting through things when you're in TAU, but also being able to pick up from an exam question what they're getting at quickly. Yeah. So I think the key word for that is persistent, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So the high fever and the persistent in a localized area of the chest. So, you know, it, it's it's not moving around. So you can say, oh, I definitely think there's a problem here down in the left lower zone or something like that. Fab. Thank you. And then, so we've done our history and examination and we kind of want to confirm the diagnosis. What sort of investigations can you do in terms of pneumonia? Mm. Well, so um, this is a point in which uh, if you're part of the British Thoracic Society, people seem to have arguments about um, over long periods at conferences and then they publish a, a, a big guideline every you know five to ten years or so of what they've decided. Um, uh, and the investigations you'd probably be thinking about if you're thinking about a, a, a pneumonia would be some bloods. So looking for your acute phase reactants, your um, CRP and things, your white blood cell count um, and a chest X-ray, because they're, they're going to be the things that help you work out what your, work out your diagnosis. Um, I think it's important to say with those investigations, they, they can be useful and they should be considered. Um, but like most stuff, you need to think about whether or not they're going to change your management. So if you've got a child who has... Um, signs of pneumonia so perhaps they've got fever and a cough and crackles in the left lower zone but they're actually hemodynamically stable with pretty good obs um, then uh, you don't necessarily need to do bloods because that's not going to help you confirm that diagnosis anymore because yeah. your acute phase reactants are unlikely to be able to help you determine um, between a viral and a bacterial cause, according to the British Thoracic Society. So the only indication to your bloods in that instance would be if you were worried about sepsis. And that would be more going down your kind of nice set management of sepsis um, route for when to do bloods and when to think about things like blood cultures. Similarly, for the chest x-ray, the advice is that if you've got a child who you think you're going to be managing in the community, that a chest x-ray is not going to be of benefit because it's not going to change what you're doing. And the time to do a chest X-ray is where you are unsure about that diagnosis. So that chest X-ray is going to confirm it for you that you're dealing with um, a community-acquired pneumonia rather than anything else. Um, okay. So it would be something to think about if you're bringing the child in from CAU. That would be the time where you then have to think, will a chest X-ray help me? Uh, or could I be missing something that it's not? Yeah. Okay, I've only really heard of chest x-rays in like atypical pneumonias. I don't know how mm. correct that is. Uh, well, so I, I would say they're probably the ones where there's more equipoise about whether or not it's the um, whether or not it's the correct diagnosis. So, um, okay. so when we're talking about kind of an atypical pneumonia, we're thinking more about the um, organisms that affect our older children. So, 
your more common pathogens are strep pneumoniae. Um, that tends to be the pneumonias you get in young children, in older children. So uh, for e exams, uh, they kind of use a cutoff of around eight, but again, that's not hard and fast. Um, that's where you start to have more of your atypical organisms and the, uh, the ones we particularly think about are mycoplasma and chlamydia. Um, okay. And, and mycoplasma, you can have bilateral crackles, but you have got low oxygen saturations. And until you get your swab back confirming it, it's actually quite difficult to pick out from, um, say, a viral uh, bronchopneumonia or something else. And that's where that chest x-ray probably would help. Because if you do the chest x-ray um, and you see either an area of consolidation and collapse, so leaning more towards a typical pneumonia, or you see um, fine bilateral changes, which is more typical of mycoplasma, that can help add a bit of weight to your diagnostic reasoning. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. And then thinking about management, I know for bacterial, you kind of go through antibiotics and stuff like that, but how would you kind of approach the child with a diagnosis of pneumonia in the initial kind of phases? So I would say wherever you're assessing this child, um, if you think that they have a community acquired pneumonia and you have a suspicion that it's bacterial, so you're thinking your first question is, do, does this child need antibiotics? Um, and if you ha have um, those signs of high temperature, localized chest signs um so you've got a focus for your infection then i would say that's a child who you should be thinking about antibiotics in and then your next question is are they well enough to have that in the community as oral antibiotics and typically that would be amoxicillin but obviously will change depending where you work <clears throat> and then if they are not well enough to have oral antibiotics where are you going to manage them so if you're in a and e can you do that there or if you're in gp they need to, do they need to be sent to CAU? Um, and if you're in CAU, you need to think about how you're going to get the line in. So thinking about EMLA, um, thinking about making sure you've got play therapists and things like that around, getting the line in and then getting them up to an appropriate ward. Okay, that makes sense. And is there any sort of non-pharmacological management? Would physiotherapy help or not really? Yeah, so physiotherapy can be a, a really good adjunct and they're a, that's something that we tend to think about more often in our children who have got a pneumonia because uh, of either a bad swallow or some kind of problem with their um, uh, their neuromuscular status or the shape of their chest. So kind of your typical patient where uh, chest physio might be really helpful, again, would be one of these children who have um, cerebral palsy. Um, uh, and with that, they've got... Uh, a, they've got a poor swallow, so they're at risk of aspirating. They've got um, reduced neuromuscular tone, so they may not have um, as good a cough, or they might not have uh, be able to have as deep a tidal breathing. Um, and then you've got um, often these children have uh, some skeletal abnormalities, so they might have something like a scoli scoliosis, which again can mean that areas of their lung are less likely to aerate properly. And so good chest physio for them, both prophylactically, so before they get the pneumonia or when they've got the pneumonia can be um, a useful adjunct. Fab. That makes so much sense. Thank you. And then is there any way to follow up these patients or is it just kind of if they're sick enough to go into the ward, they'll have a stay and then that's it? Mm. So um, it, 
it depends on whether this is a, a, a one-off or whether this is something that keeps happening um, uh, and also what their chest x-ray signs are like if they have a chest x-ray. So for a um, child who is typically developing, has a one-off uh, pneumonia, which is treated and they don't have an, a, a large area of dense collapse on their chest x-ray, they're, they're likely to fully recover and not require any particular follow-up. Um, but there's a few caveats in there. So the, the typically developing bit means, is this a child, like we've been talking about the various different risk factors you can have for recurrent pneumonias. Um, are they a child that has one of these? And if they are, is there something that we can do when they're at home and well to prevent it? And they might need follow-up in clinic. So for instance, that child with cerebral palsy is likely to be under either general pediatrics, neurology or community pediatrics. Um, in terms of the chest x-ray findings, if they've got an area of dense collapse, the prevailing um, uh, way of following that up tends to be having a repeat chest x-ray in, in four to six weeks to see resolution of those, those findings. There is debate about whether that's necess always necessary in children, but that tends to be what happens. Um, uh, and then uh, otherwise, if they're not either of those things, they probably don't need to have follow-up. Fab. I think that's everything that we yeah. need to know about pneumonia. <laughs> so, well, I feel like I've, I hope that's useful. I feel like lots of it was, well, most of the time it's this, but there's lots of other ways it can be. And obviously, um, paediatrics being a general specialty um, means that we do pick up all the slightly weirder and wonderful versions of pneumonia. So there, there's um, lots of, if you want to drill down into it, you could go, you could spend hours talking about it, but I've tried to keep things focused on that kind of community-acquired bacterial pneumonia, often with collapse, because that's the one that when we say, oh, they've come in with a pneumonia, most people are talking about. Fab. And just to quickly, to summarise, so pneumonia is obviously an infection mm -hmm. of the lungs and risk factors include your age, whether you've got any kind of underlying conditions. Um, and there's a subtype called aspiration pneumonia, um, which is more common in children with poor swallows. Mm -hmm. So like neurological conditions and cerebral palsy. Um, and then investigations think about um, chest x-rays and bloods, but only if it's going to change your management. Yep. Um, and then management wise, you want to think about where you're treating the child and then how you're treating the child, depending on what sort of organism is causing the pneumonia. Yeah, fantastic. That's a really, yeah, summary of what we've been, been chatting about. And um, the only other thing I would add on to that is that, uh, which I probably haven't said yet, is that a lot of time when we're, uh, I'm talking to medical students, I'm thinking about how it's different and similar to adult practice. So, you know, um, in adult practice, when you talk about pneumonia, you're going to have fevers, you're going to have crackles to think about, but just be aware that in children, um, you may not get all of those signs that you're used to finding in adults and things can be non-specific. So a child non-specifically presenting with an infection um, where you're suspicious of um, sepsis, one of the locuses for their infection you need to think about is chest and a pneumonia. So you may not actually get that kind of lead up history. It might just be fever without cause. And when you're there assessing them, you work out that they have, they've got a pneumonia and that's where that fever is. Um, 
so just always have it in the back of your head basically yeah that's brilliant thank you so much tommy no problem at all see you soon see you soon all right bye and i just wanted to say thank you to both alex and tommy for recording that episode for us as we're coming into christmas i think we're going to take a brief break from Dragon Bites, but we'll be back in January with fresh episodes for you. So I hope you have a lovely Christmas and thank you for listening to Dragon Bites.